You're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. Before I show you the results of my trifling experiments, I would like to drink to our partnership. Do you like gin? It is my only weakness. To a new world of gods and monsters. Hello, and welcome back into the portal. I'm Amber A. And I'm Andrew McKay. And we're back with a Film Friday, fresh and hot off the reels. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's how we would say it, hey? Actually, you know what? Not really, because it's like a hundred-year-old movie, so. (laughs) Very true, very true. Well, we are indeed back with another Film Friday, and it's been a while. Our last Film Friday was... Ghost uh, in the Shell. Ghost in the Shell. If you haven't listened to it, go check it out. A very different movie than the one we are uh, talking about today. But I'm really excited about this because it's in the top 20 uh, horror movies of all time. And I'm really excited. It's a classic. And it's from the silver screen era, which I find just just so heartwarming because it has a lot of the same elements that I appreciate in other like retro horror, like even from like the 80s, where there's a lot of like comedy and a lot of like situational, like black comedy kind of thing, I guess. And like action and comedic in encounters maybe sure because it is a monster movie but yeah we do get a lot of a lot of uh, dark comedy black comedy type stuff it just has that kind of hokey sort of vibe to it that's just something that you just i gravitate to at least i don't know totally and if if it's one of those ones where it's like oh this is a black and white and it's from 1935 this is like the one exception uh to all those other movies that you kind of see in that era i feel like that just aren't very strong with their narrative and can kind of mm-hmm. fall apart quite easily. And, and for me, this is the total opposite. So this is kind of the exception to the rule yes. for me, even and though we, obviously yeah. there's a ton of great movies too. And we implore you to like, you know, branch out into the silver screen stuff because a lot of people I feel are a little apprehensive. Like they don't want to necessarily, it's like, oh, it's a boring black and white movie. Mm-hmm. But these are the, these are like the pioneering horror movies and like, Oh, it's, it's so cool. Anyway, mm-hmm. I digress. We have a couple quick notes off the top before we get into this film. So first off, thank you to everyone who took the time to vote for us for our local Best of Kelowna yeah. in the podcast category. That was really cool. The results aren't in yet, as far as we know, last I checked, but we will definitely keep you guys posted. So thanks for taking in the time mm-hmm. to vote for us in that, which is pretty cool. I, we still have no idea who nominated us originally, but... It was just really fun, I think. And yeah. I don't have any expectation of winning, but oh, uh, if no. but thanks to everyone who went out and uh, took the time out of their day, because really, like, totally. I appreciate that. Also, we have some new patrons this month, which is amazing. So we wanted to welcome Ray Garza, one of the coolest names we've uh, heard so far, uh, who's joined us at our Ancient Explorer tier on Patreon, and also Brian Meadows, who has joined us as a paranormal scholar. Brian. So thank you thank both you. so, so much for the Ray. support. 
And we look forward to, yeah, posting some new Patreon content really soon for all of our our patrons and listeners over on there. So if you guys mm-hmm. haven't checked us out, hit us up. Link is in the show notes and you can see what we do on Patreon. You know, I don't think you're being very fair. If Ray Garza has one of the coolest names, I feel like Brian Meadows has one of the most relaxing names. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. It just sounds very peaceful. Tell it, Yeah. I feel like Garza, my, my, my mind just goes to like a ray gun for some reason. His name's Ray and Garza just sounds like the sound of like a pew pew, like a, I don't even know. It reminds me of like a sci-fi movie or something. But thank you both so much. We're stoked to have you. Mm-hmm. Really excited. All right. You ready to jump into this? Let's do it. Okay. So today we're talking about The Bride of Frankenstein, 1935. This was a screenplay done by William Herbelt, directed by James Whale. That's an awesome name, too. Colin Clive reprises his role, but sort of in a different way, uh, as Henry Frankenstein. He played Victor Frankenstein in the first film. Uh, No, actually, in both of the films, it was Henry. Just to um, help uh, it become more of a familiarized, like, name for American audiences in particular, they thought, like, the film board thought Victor was a little too harsh. Right, So it's Victor in the novels, and then it's uh, Henry in the film. So people, yeah, most people will will remember the story in Victor Frankenstein. Okay, so that's that's interesting. I remember watching the 1931. I don't remember the name Henry. Anyway. It's there. Well, the thing is, uh, I was just reading into this a little further because I got confused because I thought it was like maybe a father-son thing going on, but no. Yeah, yeah. It was just a name thing. And in the novels, he has a friend named Henry, so it kind of fits into the narrative, I think, that, that way. That totally does. Mm-hmm. That's so funny, hey? like Henry Clerville or something like that. or Don't want to put off the American audiences with the name Victor. Right? I know. Pretty funny. This isn't even like Cold War era or anything like that. No, like sounds like a inter- Interwar period. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I digress. So Clive, Colin Clive, he's an amazing dude. Apparently he had a quite a drinking problem on both sets of the of these films, uh, especially oh, no. in the 1935 uh, sequel. But it uh, kind of added to his uh, his mania as he bounced back and forth between like being gung-ho with creating the creature and then talking oh. to his uh, his wife, I guess. I read that in one little article, which is interesting. Yeah, Boris Karlov, that. of course, is the monster yet again. Uh, looks a little bit different than the first monster, but yeah, Boris Karlov, he only shows up in the credits as Karlov. They don't use his actual first name. And you know, uh, something about that, that's very unfortunate. Uh, he was actually, um, basically an uncredited, he was like an anonymous character and he wasn't even invited to the premiere. You're kidding. Yeah. And he's the main character. Yeah. That is crazy it was the standard at the time he was in a lot of stuff and it was always just karlov he never was named uh, first name in the credits very strange anyway this is one of the top rated horror movies of all time and it plays into so many different themes that we not only see in movies today like horror and sci-fi but also in lots of stuff we've covered so far so you might not think it right off the bat but even thinking back to films like the void the idea of like what lies beyond the afterlife what life really means like where it comes from yeah right the liminal space between life and death or yeah the afterlife i feel like definitely this is a very physical portrayal of that with frankenstein like the monster totally and i guess it ties in a little bit to our last interview episode potentially in a way as mm-hmm. well oh, yeah. and all these sort of themes the reanimator was another one that you uh reminded me of like one of our favorite m- movies we've covered where that one was an injection of a serum that brought life to existing corpses. It wasn't like creating a new body like a Frankenstein, but still Mm -hmm. testing the limits of life and death and sort of playing with what is life. And obviously the mad scientist element too. Of course. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
And then as far as episodes go, lore of the homunculus, obviously, <laughs> one of our earliest episodes with Travis Dow from the History of Alchemy podcast, which was so much fun. If you guys haven't gone to our backlog, go listen to that because it's probably one of the weirdest episodes we've ever done. Oh, yeah. So Freaky stuff, yeah. man. <laughs> <laughs> but to me, though, unlike these sort of the two movie examples I gave, The Void, which is like a really dark movie, The Reanimator is like pretty funny i guess just because it's got that 80s slapstick it's in color obviously mm-hmm. i feel like the black and white bride of Fan- frankenstein sort of falls in between it's almost like a black comedy at times but it's still this very dark themes mm-hmm. um, playing on these sort of very serious things that we grapple with our very humanity you know sense of self sense of reality even for henry frankenstein yeah. and all that kind of stuff so yeah i was also starring his uh, henry's bride to be was elizabeth mm-hmm. which was played by valerie hobson and then uh, elsa Lan- lanchester was uh, mary shelley in the opening scene and then also the bride the monster's bride and then of course my favorite character ernest thesiger oh. as dr pretorius that's interesting. I was wondering who played the monster's bride because she does yeah. a really good job, even though it's a really brief part of the movie. Elsa Lanchester. I just want to, yeah, you're right. It's a brief part of the movie, yet it's the na- title of the film. She's only in it at the very end. Mm-hmm. And yet it's the main cover, main poster, because it's this contrast to the male character yeah. from the first movie. I have a Kinda discussion weird. question on that later. Oh, awesome. Okay, well, <laughs> let's get right into it. Yeah, so basically the story picks up um, with the premise that the monster didn't die at the end of the last film. So we get the classic angry mob situation. It ends ends up culminating in the windmill. They set it ablaze right. after he tosses uh, Henry off of it. So you see that he's like <laughs> a sack of potatoes. But anyways, yeah. <laughs> pretty funny. But anyway, so yeah, it's basically picks up in this dark and stormy night and it's this parlor room and you see three individuals, aristocrats, as Andrew's written down here. <laughs> Very much so. Uh, but we get Mary, so the author of the original story. And then we also get two others, Lord Byron, and then her husband, I believe, right? I the think poet? so. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure. Piercy yeah. Shelley. And it's just this perfect night for monster story, as one guy goes really early on. Mm-hmm. So Shelley, uh, you also made the comment here, Andrew, it's almost like she breaks the fourth wall very early on. And she kind of has a little giggle to herself as the two men are saying, oh, look at you with your, your porcelain skin and your dainty hands. How could hands like this write a monstrous story such as that? And she kind of says like, she is like, Oh, haha! Like your audience needs some str- something stranger than a pretty little love story, right? Which I really appreciate because you do get a love story element in this, right? But it's not really about that. No, it's and a- she doesn't look directly at the camera or anything. It's not like mm-hmm. officially breaking the wall or anything, but just the word "audience" in there, and because it's teeing up like her telling the story, it's like the audience is like yeah. all the children sitting on the floor about to hear a story, mm-hmm. sitting inside during the storm. You Gather know what I mean? around, like, yeah. yeah, totally, and. I guess you could interpret it in the other way where she's basically talking about just writing in general and the audience that you of your mind, essentially. I loved the line either way, no matter how you interpret it. It's just, yeah, like, oh, you're not just getting like a classic, a classic anything at mm-hmm. all. Yeah. So she jumps right into it. They kind of gather in a little circle around her. Uh, the two men. (laughs) And she kind of just, yeah, just gets right into it. I really liked the comedy that kicks off right away with this. um, Because we get this idea that it's sort of ambiguous, right? We don't know if the monster is alive or dead at this moment. We've got the destruction of the windmill. We've got the taking of uh, Henry back to his uh, bride to be Elizabeth and all this stuff. And then we get this sort of like this idea that 
the inside's always the last to be consumed. And mm. it's like the maid of the household that kind of, she's the squawky little whatever. And she's got all sorts of opinions spouting out from all sorts of directions. <laughs> and that's the first instance of like the dark comedy because mm-hmm. there's just this violent scene where yeah. it's like the death of the monster. And there's just this, this tiny little lady. Like she reminds me of um, the chick from uh, Kimmy Schmidt. Oh, like, uh, yeah. Like the, 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 the older, older lady one. with the Lillian. Bu- Lillian. Yeah. Uh, and she's just like, yeah, no, it's not over till the insides are burned. And it's just mm-hmm. like, so dark like oh lady you're crazy (laughs) totally and she wants them to go and investigate but they don't they kind of just chalk it up to whatever and we have like the town i don't know the town authority and he's just basically like well i'm here and it's all wrapped up and good thing we fixed this problem but no they haven't and soon the monster makes his appearance yes indeed however before we jump right into the monster we are going to take a quick break for our sponsor better help Is something preventing you from achieving your goals or getting in the way of your overall happiness? Sometimes it's necessary to seek help from a professional, someone on the outside, and that's okay. We can both relate from our own personal hardships and tough times when talking with family, friends, or loved ones just isn't working. Better help is there for you. It's a service that assesses your needs and matches you with your own licensed professional therapist from the comfort of your own home, office, or wherever you want. The best thing is, it's not self-help. It is professional counseling. BetterHelp is committed to you from the get-go, from finding great therapeutic matches to making it easy and free to change counselors if need be. Also, being available on multiple platforms and across the globe so you have the help you need wherever you find yourself. What's great is that BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available for those who qualify. Anything you share is confidential. Just check out the testimonials posted daily on their site. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. We here at Into the Portal want you to start living a happier, healthier life today. So as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com portal. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com portal. H-E-L-P dot portal. And we're back. Okay, let's talk about the creature, the monster, Frankenstein. I mean, I suppose there's a few different things we could refer to this uh, this thing as. I know. That's kind of where it gets confusing because whenever anyone says Frankenstein, you do think of the monster, but it's actually the last name of the creature. It's more accurate to refer so, to him as the, yeah, that's the, exactly. I don't like calling him the monster, though. Like the creature. The creature, I feel, but is, I mean... To us, creature doesn't have as much of a negative connotation, you know what I mean? As True. armchair cryptozoologists and whatever else. Uh, anyway, we digress. I feel like that's just like my phrase of the last few episodes because I just keep going on tangents, man. <laughs> Got to bring anyway, it back. Got to bring it back. <laughs> so yeah, we have this scene that Amber was describing before with the burning windmill, which is just awesome. And I wanted to um, add this point in here again because it's... It's just super dark because we get the father from uh, the girl in the original film. That's like the first victim, basically, in this movie. Is which that is who pretty it awesome. is? Yeah. Eh? Okay. And I didn't know that until reading back in. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's that makes sense. Because mm-hmm. um, it's just this random couple moseying up to this, you know, the destructed windmill at this point. And the wife's like pleading with him not to go. Like, what will I do if I lose you as well? And he's oh, like, yeah. I have to see the bones, like the charred bones. And it's pretty comical. It's pretty Mr. Magoo because he literally takes one 
one doesn't even. I mean, you're not checking where you step whatsoever, and he just takes one step immediately, falls directly into uh, the the well yeah. uh, beneath the windmill, and uh, of course we find out instantly that the uh, the monster is still very much alive, and that's uh, an interesting point too. I guess we can come back to it, but mm-hmm. he's been burned, he's been stoned, he's been beaten with sticks, he's fallen down into this well, and he basically looks the same. And yeah. so we've got some, I got some questions about that to come back to later of hmm. this like indestructibility. Like, does it have something to do with being constructed with dead things? So it's like you're already halfway there, therefore harder to kill. You think I, you're, you know, you think it's easier though, because you're falling apart. It's you like a would zombie. Think. But maybe it's just the laws of life don't apply to you. So right. unless it's, it's all physically separated, like blown apart, like, you know what I mean? There's no way to actually right. just get rid of it. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> anyway, the wife of this poor guy is waiting at the top still, and then there's this outstretched hand, and she thinks it's him. She's like, "Give me your hand," and of course, oh, it's yes. uh, it's uh, not. It's it's the creature. Yep. And uh, tosses her into the well. Right. And then coming back to Henry, he's thought to be dead. He's been thrown off the top, and this is sort of like you know, again, it's a kind of this comical moment scene. Yes. It's like a sack of potatoes you referred to. It's very unrealistic. But. He's, he's thought to be dead and it's quite sad. It's quite dark. You've got the classic, like you said, the head of the town with the huge handlebar mustache is like, who got to break the news to the poor girl? And they rush this body of Victor back. It's like, mm-hmm. man, the doctors in this town really suck because the guy was just unconscious. Uh, he regains his strength pretty quickly and then immediately begins to sort of ponder the implications of his actions right away, but in a very positive way, like his scientific achievements. He was a very mad scientist to yes. me. He's like laying in the bed. He's like, the formula f- for life. Like, you know, like I, I, I created a man, you know, like I did all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, I Just before we kind of get into that whole like spiel that he does with his... Sure. Like, we missed one really funny part. Did we? <laughs> yes. Oh. And that was when the monster essentially climbs out of the well, throws the chick in, and then he, he takes a couple of steps and ends up right beside the maid. That was the kook from the very first scene. Right. And she does the classic really slow look over the shoulder. Yep. And then just sees him and just starts screaming on the spot. Takes about five seconds to actually start moving. And <laughs> she's just like, ah! And he's not interested at all. (laughs) No, that's the weird part too. I guess she's just not a threat. Yeah. Even though he does end up killing, I think, a couple of children in the movie. We don't see it, but we have... It's implied. It is implied, yeah. Mm Yeah. Yeah, we supposedly went on a whole rampage across the countryside, or at least that was the idea, like, because when the hunters show up later in the blind guy's house. Well, that's just it. How much time really passes? Anyways, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Getting ahead of ourselves. Totally. Because the whole Victor, or sorry, I want to say Victor, but it's Henry. 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 He has this whole crazy, just like, epiphany? Would you call it that? Yeah, I would say. I would Realization to a certain degree? Yeah. And Mm -hmm. that epiphany made me have this epiphany. (laughs) It's not really an epiphany. It's just a really silly idea I had with watching what it made me think. It was, okay, 1935. Would, how much influence would this movie have had and other movies like it had on people just tossing it out there like, say, like an Adolf Hitler being like, we need to push for experiments. Like, we need to create. Because he makes comments on, like, I could create a race, a whole race of men. People were obsessed with that. They were obsessed with eugenics at that time. So uh, seeing it on the silver screen would have been like extra special. Being true. Like really like, let's make this happen. Yeah, I could see that. I wonder if it was available in Germany, though. I wonder. I don't know. Do some homework. Hmm. <laughs> I guess 35 would have been just before he was 
yeah, I don't know. He was on the cover of Time in the early 30s at one point. I think it was 33. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong about that. Don't quote me. Anyway, he also mentions things like, you know, the divine plan. So yeah, it very much ties into a lot of these types of things. But the thing I actually take, yeah, divine plan is if there's like some sort of master plan or like it kind of ties into one of the major themes, I think, which has a lot of like Christian symbology in it. Yeah. And a lot of like spiritual and uh, religious overtones. Totally. And I think that it, first little mention there, the divine um, aspect of it, the divine plan as if he is now usurping the role of creator. He's usurping the role of God. Right. Except instead of making, you know, humans. It's like Nietzsche, okay? Yeah. Yeah. God no, is very dead much so. man has replaced him yeah. essentially. And, ex- and except now he's making man-made race of monsters i guess you could say mm-hmm. we're monsters too it's all perspective well yeah he's yeah exactly uh, well, yeah and that ties into the the beautiful quote that we have at the very top of the episode hey? of course yeah uh his beautiful bride-to-be elizabeth of course thinks he's completely insane um and says that whenever he talks about creating a man in life she sees it as death and the devil and not life at all mm-hmm. and she actually makes this very strange comment where she says she sees a, like i think she uses the word specter i'd have to go back and double check but she's like i see a specter in my room it's coming mm-hmm. for me and Dark. for you henry right like almost like a shadow person yep. uh and i just like that's such a strange thought Almost like somehow, we can come back to this later, but almost like somehow the idea that there's other forces at work here, like Henry dabbling in this sort of straddling the line between life and death and creating life like as he shouldn't is almost like maybe breaking the veil in some way. Like there's forces that are affecting her and it's not just like life breathed into a physical mass of like corpses, you know what I mean? There's other consequences or... Right. You know, just on that scene too, I thought it was very interesting the way that Elizabeth was portrayed. She was very pure, very angelic. She, her clothing kind of uh, matched that too, is this white robe, pure white robe with these like light, almost like feather-like things coming off the back of it. Like that kind of like Mm -hmm. very sheer sort of look to it. And I just like couldn't help but think of her as like kind of like a, yeah, a very angelic figure and very, um, (laughs) she just wants to get away, right? Like she's a very, she's naive. She's very innocent. And she wants him to preserve his innocence with her. It's almost as if she's still living in the Garden of Adam and Eve to a certain extent. She hasn't transgressed the boundaries like he has. And she's trying to convince him to stay. She's trying to get him to come back. Or to come back, rather, Mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how I kind of interpreted that scene a little bit. Right. And then I guess if you see her as that, as this very angelic figure, we get the stark contrast of a very almost, uh, actually, no, we we totally do, a devilish-like figure in Dr. Pretorius. Mm -hmm. And he actually later compares himself to the devil yeah. uh, when he's showing his experiments to Henry. So that's very <laughs> apt. I, that, there you go. You told mm-hmm. That's great. He's got the devil on one shoulder, the angel on the other. <laughs> and he shows up because Elizabeth is pleading with Henry and he's in bed, sick in bed. And, you know, he's half still daydreaming about his crazy experiments and then half being convinced otherwise. And then Pretorius shows up and he's this former professor of philosophy who was fired uh, mm-hmm. because I think he said something along the lines of like, I knew too much or like I had you know, extended beyond the bounds of like there, right? And uh, he shows up to convince Henry to continue the experiments because he finds out that Henry is still alive, I guess, after the whole scene at the windmill. And uh, yeah, 
the search for eternal life is to be continued with Dr. Pretorius and Henry Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. And uh, we end up, yeah, coming upon a familiar creature, like I mentioned off the top of the show. Mm -hmm. I liked the way that they introduced the Pretorius character while Henry is still very vulnerable. He's still Mm. sick in bed. He's still recovering. And he comes to him with something that he thinks is going to be more enticing because before they were in this sort of master-pupil relationship. Totally. And he says he wants to go into a partnership. Yes. Now. And since he's ultimately like proven himself with this creation of his the monster right and then it's interesting me like again with these time frames i'm kind of like struggling with that because dr pretorius makes it sound as if he's left that relationship years ago he's been working on this for 20 years is what he says in one scene yeah his creations and i just i was kind of confused about that because i'm like well Henry himself doesn't look that young. He doesn't look like a... He looks like the type of guy that should have been married for 20 years already, in my opinion. Elizabeth's quite young. Sure. But it's just kind of is a weird time frame. And then this whole, like you mentioned earlier, with the whole, like, oh, he's been ravaging the countryside, the monster, for how long? Like, I don't get it. Like, how many deaths are there actually being? They're very vague on all of it. Yeah, you're right. It's the same sort of, like... uh, ephemeral sort of, like, feeling you get in, like, the 1994 version with uh, Kenneth Braun and... uh, What's her name? Uh... Helena Bonham Carter. Yeah, Helena. Yeah, I don't know. It has that like, same, like, well, how much time is passing here? Like, what's going on? Like, you guys are still to be married. Like, you're not married yet. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Do you have any comments on that? Or No, I mean, I, I feel like it's funny. I feel like because we've watched this movie, like, a good handful of times now and we watched it again last night in preparation for this, obviously. So I think we're we're questioning that now. When you yeah. watch it, just like if you watch the 1931 and then you watch this this one 1935 you don't notice it as much and it's like even when Pretorius shows up you, he seems benevolent kind of he's yeah. like oh you know I want to help you get back on your feet kind mm-hmm, of is his mm-hmm. vibe right like you yeah. know he seems a little shady he's got the mad scientist vibe um but you don't really you're not thinking timeline like you're not even thinking True. oh like how long has the creature been to out be there which, it's but you're stuff. totally, you're totally right. It's though. stuff it's, that you have to bring up if you're analyzing. Sure, sure. <laughs> and I do want to point out too, total random thought, but that freaking bed that Henry was laying in in that scene was oh, insane. Yes. That was like the most crazy gothic bed I have ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> if anyway. only they still made him that way. <laughs> yeah. You can't pick that. No, no. Ikea doesn't carry that. Yeah, that's, that's like a sure. built in. <laughs> that thing's not going anywhere. Oh man. How heavy would that be? It's like brass or something. Or like, I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> We do get this amazing line, though, probably one of my favorite movie lines of all time, when Pretorius convinces Henry, now back on his feet, to come and basically at least take a look at his experiments Mm -hmm. to try to convince him. And uh, scroll down in our Instagram so you can find this video when we posted it for our homunculus episode, but he has this epic line, toasting with gin uh, to a new world of gods and monsters that Mm -hmm. we played off the top of the show. I love it. It's funny how gin is the only uh, vice that he'll actually admit to. I feel like power, power hungry is probably his biggest vice, eh? Him saying that gin is his only weakness is just weakness, a lie, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> so that's kind of where we were starting off here. This premise that there's a new world to be had. And, and they can play God, essentially. They can create all sorts of weird creations. And this is where we get our first versions of homunculi, essentially. Yeah. And he's got like... <laughs> He's got how many? There's the the queen, the king, the ballerina, the devil, the archbishop, and the mermaids. He's got six of them. Yes. And they're all 
fully formed humanoid like mini miniatures yeah like six inch tall perfectly proportionate human homunculi and he kind of refers to as if there was like a team working with him he says 20 years have passed this is the culmination of it it's it's uh the what does he kind of refer to as it's like the the creation of god's of man's own form or whatever something along those something along those lines but But he yeah he does say that there is a team. Like he says, oh, this one came out this way. So they decided to make him into blah, 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 and, and make him to the, the, que- the queen was so perfect. We made her into a queen because that's what she, he says we all the time. He doesn't say I. So hmm. who is he referring to? Is it just him and his like crummy assistant? That's like the grave robber. <laughs> yeah, that, that. And then also just like his other selves that maybe he, he gives me, he gives off a very Jekyll and Hyde vibe. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. I picture him working with a team of people. In the Maybe, lab, actually, like, yeah. Because he does just have his one assistant that we see throughout the film. Yeah. But anyway, so he goes on to say that he grew them as nature does from seed. So the, I like the mermaid in particular because he refers to her as a very conventional experiment, which to me, she's the least conventional of all of them. Right. And she's made from seaweed. So it's like yeah. these very, like, if you go back to, like, all you guys listening right now, go back to our homunculus series, like, the the types of things that were used or suggested to be used in these formulas to create miniature humanoids are pretty messed up. So seaweed is a pretty novel thing to include in that, I guess. Eh? Like, You're, yeah, you would prefer working with seaweed the most out of all the ingredients that go into making a, a homunculus. <laughs> yeah, if they even exist in the first place. But, well, yeah, yes, <laughs> of course. <laughs> but ultimately, Pretorius is trying to convince Henry to create a bride for his monster and to spawn very much in the same mind of Henry, right? When he was first in bed after his incident, he's kind of coming to these realizations and he says this whole thing, he can create a race, he can train. And so Pretorius has a very similar aim where he wants to almost create what I would call like a monstrous Adam and Eve. So he's already got Adam, he needs Eve. And he, he needs them to spawn this new race ultimately. So they'll get together and then, then, then their kids will get together. And, <laughs> and it's so, but it's so funny though, how he's like, they're still main, they're doing all this crazy stuff. Like this is a crazy idea, mm-hmm. but yet still within that maintaining the sort of standard, like we need a male, we need a female, we're going to create a race. It's not like the yeah. orcs coming out of the mountain and Lord of the Rings or something. You know what I mean? It's like, they're mm-hmm. all just amorphous non-gender specific monsters it's it's very conventional ideas of sex and gender and uh, familial relations the bride of frankenstein again right these these christianized overtones is what i would kind of refer to them as the institution of marriage right that's kind of the building blocks of this new race and going back to your whole like oh would this be inspirational for hitler i think yeah definitely because it's the talking about a new race the Aryan race, that was what sure. he was all about. Eugenics, yeah. the same idea as selective breeding, all that kind of thing. So it kind of does tie in a little bit, I Is think. it playing along with themes of the time or is it doing that in addition to like throwing it in the face of Christianity too? Because oh, yeah. saying like this is this this it's is perverting happening. them. Right, it's, mm-hmm. it is a perversion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Obviously, because there was a lot of, uh, I just sounded like David Brent there for a second. Yeah. 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 You can also apply that Adam and Eve, like, sort of uh, analogy, I guess, to the relationship, like I said earlier, with uh, Elizabeth and Henry, too, Mm -hmm. in a 
in a different way, though. <laughs> Very much so. I think we should get back to the monster, though, because he does some really interesting stuff, like, midway through this film, mm-hmm. including doing a badass jailbreak out. <laughs> Two-second jailbreak. That was amazing. It's so classic, too, because, like, the guy, handlebar mustache guy, mayor of the town or whatever, is just, like, standing <laughs> outside, like, it was just a drunkard or, like, a, you know, just an insane person, nothing to worry about, he's all locked up, and it's, like, literally 16 seconds. and <laughs> Great great stuff and then he's out destroying and there's there's several victims that are left in the wake of him and then he ends up running out to the woods i guess Mm -hmm. and that's where he comes across kind of like a mother Teresa type figure a blind man who is living all on his own for years and years as he kind of attests to and this is where we kind of get this interesting it's like a it's a very classic not hero's journey i'm not going to say that but it's like a, a very classic I'm going to say humanist again, right? The idea that you are a human or you're not a human. And right now this guy isn't a human, like the monster, but he's slowly Mm -hmm. crossing over that threshold, I think. Yes. And he learns things like words and feelings and empathy from this, this blind man, which is hugely significant. And you can go back to the savior sort of figure or idea too, with the very beginning scene where he's laid down to rest after having a meal and then you get the, the fade to black with just the crucifix glowing o- above him. And sure. that's very telling, I think, too. Yes. Yeah. Uh, speaks to like his his salvation, kind of. You know what I mean? He's he's kind of seeing the opportunity for that, I think, in yeah. that moment. And it's implying that the source of that salvation is like Christ. Empathy. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, Which originates Christianity. from Christianity, mm-hmm. right? In 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 this yeah. in this film and in at this time. Exactly, yeah. But obviously this doesn't last for very long and unfortunately their their brief friendship is rudely interrupted, I would say, by some stupid people <laughs> that yeah. just don't care to understand. And anyway, he ends up fleeing and then hiding in a tomb where he eventually connects with Pretorius, which was kind of an interesting... You were talking about this right before we sat down. Yeah. So he's only learned a few words so far, the monster creature, like right. good, bad, friend, friend, alone, like that type of thing. And yeah. so he calls out friend in in the catacombs or in the tomb. Right. And that and was Pretorius very And Pretorius takes advantage of that situation. Yeah. And that's that to me is like, it's just so strange because he corrals this creature and then essentially just... I mean, he uses it as blackmail, well, as a, as a, as a henchman essentially. And then mm-hmm. later ends up blackmailing Henry, yep. kidna- using the creature to kidnap Elizabeth. So now we're getting into the nefarious side of Pretorius. Like he's kind of revealing his true character. Oh yeah. And I mean, what's he doing in the catacombs anyway, right? I mean, he's grave robbing. At least he's robbing from dead people. Cause that elevates to a whole new level by the end of the film too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it sure does. I so, mean. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, like, getting back to those experiments, like, that whole situation quickly devolves, too. Yeah. And that relationship between uh, partners, I guess you could say, because obviously Henry's just kind of the slave of Pretorius until he's done his experiment, until he successfully finishes. He'll basically be under wraps. Like, Like, he has nowhere to go. Elizabeth is being held hostage, essentially. Yeah. So that quickly, that changes. And he kind of has glimpses of that, but I don't know if he fully realizes it because he's so caught up in what's happening with the work and, and the, especially that heart experiment. Yeah, that's bizarre. So they kind of got two things going on. They've got, well, okay, do you want to get into that where they harvest a fresh heart? So Pretorius has really mm-hmm. obviously gone 
way the opposite direction of Henry and has resorted to having his henchmen basically just murder young a young woman in this mm-hmm. uh, last scene well one of the last scenes yeah so it's a fresh heart and they keep it they keep it beating, beating. <laughs> while at the same time Pretorius has managed to I'm sort of vague on whether he developed or he just acquired a brain that he kept dormant that was kind of vague I right? think he acquired it. Okay. Because he's sort of like, I felt like there was a line in there that was almost like, I've created this brain laying dormant. A dormant brain. Whatever that means. So it'll be different from Frankenstein's brain is kind of what he says, right? Like it'll it'll behave differently. Right. Yeah. It should have anyway, mm-hmm. I guess was the idea. But the, he's obviously had his henchmen murder this young woman. So it's drastically different than just grave robbing. Mm-hmm. And it also makes it drastically different than Frankenstein himself because he's made up of strictly the the creature the original creature strictly dead matter and this is now kind of an amalgamation it's almost like the bride of mm-hmm. frankenstein ends up being more almost like what's the it's word more, like, it's more continuous it's yeah. not like there was like a break especially for the heart which yeah. we were saying like you know like a, a lot of people considered that the seat of the soul and the seat of the mind and all that kind of that was like the back in the day that was the main thing yes. so the heart itself was like kind of, and and Doctor Pretorius does make the statement that he's like, "Oh, the human heart is the most complicated organ in all of the system," and we're like, me and you look at each other like, I'm pretty sure the brain exceeds the heart right. as far as its complications, but sure. But playing okay. on those themes of like the ancient world, very much so, like the Egyptians and whatever else, like yeah, that was the most important. Yeah place in the body mm-hmm. so it had to be fresh yeah and i loved how like that one scene again we get a comedic element where the heart has been successfully harvested brought to the lab henry has it successfully hooked up and he's like he's like kind of trying to ascertain where he got it and the guy tries to tell him that he gave someone like what was it 50 crowns for 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 the uh, fresh heart of yeah. someone that had just died in an accident yes uh, and then like basically pretorius is feeding him the line behind henry's back <laughs> just make him go along with it because clearly this is a murder victim but yeah. henry doesn't want to probe too far i don't think he doesn't really push that he no. just wants to kind of get it over with and he ends up having that brief conversation that was an interesting piece of technology they were using hey the like the telephone i guess it was a telephone he didn't refer to it as that but it no, was, some it was sort just of like this, audio, device. this electronic device you can hear your elizabeth or whatever mm-hmm. i thought he was going to trick him too <laughs> i thought elizabeth was never coming back to be honest i thought and so too i thought the it was just time. like a recorded thing not a interactive thing. just going to be extra insidious mm-hmm. it was almost like henry was like kind of like in a stockholm syndrome type state too like in the mail at the same time and he's yeah. just like he's still into it which is kind of strange. He's, he's straddling the line, I think, of <laughs> how far he's willing to go. And it's just kind of this, it, like, yeah. It's so, the mad scientist theme, right? It really is. Yeah, exactly. You're you're just transgressing those boundaries. So we get to the climax of the film. And the stage is set for the bride of Frankenstein to come to life. So there's the lightning storm. We have these robbed body parts that are all assembled, ready to go. Henry working under duress. And all this culminates in the successful creation of this female form. Yeah. She's quite pretty. Yeah. And quite dainty too. She's not like lumpy and chunky like uh, Frankenstein. No. They made her very, yeah. And I'm just like, oh, that's so classic, of course, two male scientists. Like, anyways. <laughs> but she is very pretty. And she reminds me of Sally from A Nightmare Before Christmas. Very much so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Except from the hair. Obviously, that's way different. But I loved how she she comes and she's like this dainty, almost like a dancer is kind of how she like looks. And they're kind of helping her. They're help 
holding her arms and her hands and stuff. And, and then she ultimately goes to Henry. She goes to him and she wants him. Like she like goes to hug him, like as if it's her father or I don't know. Is it? Yeah. yeah. Is it love? Is it lust? Exactly. She's just very, she's very twitchy too. She's like, almost like she's having like a mini seizure or something like the the head motions are really cool. Oh yeah. I liked how her makeup was done and I liked the way that she acted. Totally. Like that was really good. And for how brief it was, I, yeah, I really liked, I wish we could have seen more of her. I wish we got, I, I honestly remembered more of the bride, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Anyway. yeah. But so she basically rejects the monster, unfortunately. They didn't really do a good job introducing them. I don't think. And then like, yeah, like it just keeps going to Henry, which I just thought was really interesting. It again, kind of reaffirms the idea in one of the themes that I kind of have pulled up here, but the idea that Henry is the creator, he's God, he's playing that role in this film and he created the first creature. Ultimately he created this one too with Pretorius. Yeah. So I don't know. I just think of him as like, he's just this weird quasi God figure, but he doesn't want it. Like he's almost just like, shying away from it at the same time too whereas pretorius fully accepts it oh yeah he's full mad scientist like i want to play god Mm -hmm. henry's just like i wanted to see and now i'm upset with what's happened exactly but is that why it's going to him because pretorius is clearly like there's Mm -hmm. no empathy there there's no anything like humanity yeah like if if these if frankenstein and the bride of frankenstein really are grappling with this who am I sense of self sense of humanity because they're made out of that and they're born into well born quote unquote into the world where that is the governing thing right like he's all he's experienced is hate until Mm -hmm. he meets the blind guy true I don't know it's weird because she never had any worldly experiences it was just like you come into the world Mm -hmm. and it's just there's there's Henry Mm-hmm. Was she just choosing between the three? I guess. I mean, who wouldn't pick him out of Pretorius and the other one? <laughs> yeah, pretty I easy suppose. choice. I don't know, I like, <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. What, what about you? I don't know. I, I I grappled with that a little. I was just trying to think of what because he does refer to that dormant brain. So I'm thinking, like, what is actually going on behind behind the eyes there? Is there stuff like computing? Like, what's what's happening? But we don't get anything other than a scream from her or a couple of screams, I guess. And then just, uh, those motions, right? The- yeah. Or is she rejecting the creature and going to Henry because she is more like, like more living because mm-hmm. of the fresh heart, because of the, like, did you, is that kind of where you're getting at? Like because know. of the fresh brain, Perhaps. fresh heart. That could be something that might've been a factor, but I don't know. Ultimately, I just think it had to go that way because it had to fail right? Even if they are successful in creating, it's this whole idea that you, once you create life, life has free will. So you can't like control it ultimately. And the idea, their novel idea of trying to train these things, like that's ridiculous in my mind. They're not dogs. They're, they're, they're things that just like you and me, but they're made out of the, the after the, after the dead parts yeah i don't know but that that part is actually pretty funny to me too if you think about it in that way because you can only go so far it's like having a kid right you can't tell your kid like some parents try to i guess but you you don't know who that kid's gonna be when they grow up they're gonna be whatever they're gonna be and that's just what you have to live with <laughs> yeah in the end very but true i don't know so i guess we're coming down like it's a very abrupt ending i think very much so well it's just a dramatic i mean the, the bride doesn't really get much of a chance no we, she basically just stands there uh frankenstein makes the moral decision that none of them should have lived in the first place like him the the bride and then ultimately pretorius because pretorius is corrupted to yeah. to like an unsavable degree i guess right 
but yeah, so it, I so the very last scene when they escape, right? So we get Elizabeth and um, Henry that manage to survive and they escape out of the <laughs> that crazy tower. Where the hell is that? It's just Pretorius's crazy laboratory yeah. somewhere on a hill. Okay, and like I'm curious too. We should have looked into this actually. <laughs> Who, what they demolished when they did that scene. Good question. I'm curious how big that building was because it seemed quite massive. And yeah. It was just blowing chunks out of it. Just Some like historic site that nobody cared about in 1935. It's like, oh, that's a bunch of bricks. Let's blow this yeah. up. Yeah, or it's a miniature maybe. I uh-huh. feel like maybe that makes more sense. <laughs> like it was a mini- miniature. Uh, interesting note actually from that scene because Henry and Elizabeth escape. She's sort of like, she actually breaks out of her like prison on her own and comes Mm -hmm. running back and is poking her head through the window while Henry's like, I can't just leave them or whatever. But then the creature makes the moral decision and allows him to leave, Mm -hmm. which is sort of strange. Yeah. He's like, you go. And then he looks at Pretorius, you stay. Yeah. (laughs) Like we belong dead. Yeah. We both belong dead or whatever to him Mm -hmm. and Pretorius and the bride, I suppose as well. But apparently in the original script, the original draft, Henry and Elizabeth also die. They don't oh. quite make it out, um, but they re rewrote that. And it apparently it was originally 90 minutes as well. So there was about 50, it ended up only being about, I think, just over 70 minutes. So they cut out quite a bit of stuff. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, you could kind of see in the very last scene where they exit the tower. And then as soon as they exit through the door, there's that huge boulder that crashes down right after them. Yeah. I was like, ooh, that was pretty close. But then they get their happy, like, you know, the Hollywood ending, the faces pressed up against each other and oh henry oh elizabeth and then that's that's it it. the end and then it's just kind of like a restoration right of of the boundaries right because that's what um ultimately a lot of humanist narratives try to do or or just do successfully is is it's kind of like closing the loop almost yeah and And that was one of the major themes obviously yeah just humanism the humanist binaries of kind of like good and evil the human the monster evil human monster man god that type of thing we can't um, get through an episode like this without referring to like the idea of the um, the uncanny, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, which yeah. is what they're seeing in both the bride and the creature, and that the blind man couldn't see, you know? Yeah. Literally. Exactly. <laughs> so, so the uncanny is like the idea that you're seeing um, yourself in the other, which is often um, a fearful element, especially used in like Hitchcock films and things like that. Totally. I think, I think he was the one that coined that term, actually, the uncanny. Like or, no, no, no. Ev- no, it wasn't Hitchcock. It was... I have no idea. The, the, the guy that I think was Freud. Tweeted us if you know who so, uh, coined that I term. Can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> and then we already did touch at the idea of like what you said here, uh, questioning what life really means, what energies are at play. Like when you're talking about physical amalgamations of life that is infused with or, or brought back by like say a, a quick infusion of energy, right? The yeah. lightning bolt. Like what right. else are you bringing out? <sighs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's like it it plays on the idea of like memory being stored in inside cells too, like that notion, like that mm-hmm. there still would be like you can electrify a, a, a created body that's made up of a bunch of things. And if it's fresh or not, there might be something left in that that's going to allow this now Frankenstein creature to, you know, know how to walk, you know, know how to like pick things up, put it down. He, he gets angry. He can do things. It's not like an infant learning all these things from the get-go. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's a good point because the blind man, again, like he's like, if you understand what I'm saying, put your hand on my shoulder. And he manages to do that quite easily. Like he does know. He, he retains something. Right. So that's actually, yeah, like how much of the prior lives 
Oh my Strange. gosh. I'm just going like Edgar Casey right now. I'm like, if you're taking the bodies of a bunch of different people and mashing them together, like what souls and past lives are you mashing together too? If that's the case, like, you know. Yeah. And in a much more insidious you, example, something like that. True. <laughs> something like the thing where it's like memory stored in DNA and like the creature takes over things and like becomes them kind of sort of playing that's, on the yeah. same type of idea. I mean, there's a creature memory, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's very, very strange. Yeah. That was a weird one. Uh, the other that we did mention already, this idea of like a uh, Christian uh, symbology that's uh, very prevalent throughout. There was the crucifix that I mentioned. And then also some kind of quasi cross imagery, I would say mm-hmm. there's that visual where the monster strung up. Uh, he's basically prostrate on that pole and his hands are like lifted above his head. Very similar to the Jesus. Very figure. much the crucifixion. I for sure. It's like the lamb to the slaughter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, sacrificed for humanity. I've also seen elements of like the monster as a Jesus figure again, and Henry as God, right? So that sort of relationship and the unfeeling creator that sacrifices his son for the creation of the world or, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. And you came across this interesting thing from the Hayes Office of Film Standards. Yeah. That was funny. So they actually insisted on less revealing costumes for the mate, so the bride, a reduction in the number of murders depicted, so implied <laughs> murders versus actual. Yep. And then the, I think there were scenes where uh, we saw, like, in the village, for example, they, there was a few victims, like, Frau, whatever her name was, and they were, like, moaning, and you didn't see the bodies, but I think probably in the original cut, they were probably just dead. Yeah, they I They probably so. weren't moaning or anything, but yeah. that's just me insinuating that. And then also the idea that there was a removal of the scene in which the monster attempts to rescue a figure of Christ on a cross. Yeah. So he's a savior to a certain degree. That's weird. But I guess, yeah, that never made it into Like attempting to solidify his humanity by like recognizing the savior of humanity or something like that. Oh. Or something along those lines is what I'm thinking. You know, but we did see other versions of that. Not a Christ figure on a cross, but we see him save a young girl who falls after she's terrified. The young shepherd. She's terrified and she falls into the water and he goes and saves her. And then the other hunters misinterpret that as something else. And Right. Mm-hmm. The huh. poor guy, he's just misunderstood, man. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I mean, he, the shitty thing for him, I guess, is the fact that other than, I guess, at the end, he, he does blow himself up. He's sort of indestructible. So he just puts up with all of this. Mm-hmm. So that's a question we posed a little earlier on with this idea of like, how is he not dead? Like, how, like, how is he not killed? Like the only thing that I, I can know. think of is what I mentioned earlier, like this idea that he's already halfway there. Therefore, he's harder to kill because I mean, it's just... He's halfway back from there. <laughs> yeah, he's, I mean... He's gone all the way there and now he's halfway back. I mean, does that make it easier? Does that make it harder? I have no idea. <laughs> and I, again, I think... Or the laws just don't apply to him. Right. And, and that that also ties into the thing I brought up with uh, Elizabeth at the beginning too. Does this sort of dabble in other aspects of the paranormal? Like, do, do they, mm-hmm. they don't directly get into that in these, in this movie, mm-hmm. but it's sort of, it's sort of suggested. It's like, it's like Frankenstein, the creature is created. It's trying to figure itself out. It's trying to find its sense of self and humanity. It's misunderstood. It's not like a demonic entity or anything like that. But then there's this notion of like, you know, creating a brace of monsters, uh, you know, the devil, you know, being involved, like, multi, you know, even Pretorius compares himself to the little devil in the jar, one of the homunculi devils, uh, Elizabeth brings up this idea of seeing True. like shadow people and like having this like this darkness that's like seems to be pulling pulling him back in to this. And it's almost like there's a dark energy that's like yes. fueling the creation of all of this. Hmm. And Frankenstein is like an is like an unfortunate byproduct of it. 
right? The sad creature creation. He's not the, yeah, he, he isn't the um, embodiment of the evil. Right. The evil is the attempt itself, I think. You know what I mean? Yeah. The transgression on the part of man. And that is the sin of man, right? right? It ties into, again, the good, bad, sin, innocent, like, you know, all that kind of thing. Very strange. I like that, though. That's a good point. Like that, yeah. Maybe there is some sort of demonic entities going on here. Well, you know, you have to have the contrast of the light and dark. And and that's actually, yeah, I really like that because it's very pervasive. And it just really helps solidify who's who in this narrative, I think. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, folks... We're pretty much down to the end here. I mean, do you have any final thoughts, Amber? I know. Yeah. My head's just like spinning now because Frankenstein's just got me all rocked, man. I know, right? (laughs) We got to watch some of the uh, more modern ones too, I guess, because there's an 1985, I think. And then there's, you know, a few others as well. There is. And I really do like the one, like we mentioned, the 1994 one as well. That's just so classic. It's pretty long, but it's classic. Um, I think we should maybe mention a few ones we've kind of got coming down the pipe that we want to do well we had a couple suggestions a couple of close people in our lives uh, we had shutter island suggested yep and we also had a rival suggested and yeah. then i think there was one more that we thought of ourselves right andrew or no i want to cover pandorum that's going to oh, happen yeah. at some point mm-hmm. but there's there was another one i can't think of it off the top of my head but we've got know, a sweet yeah. lineup it's definitely gonna be fun and so those are three that we're wanting to do and of course we're always open to suggestions these are all for you guys. And we love movies and we like discovering new movies. So especially if they're the weirder, the better is what I'll say. But totally. Yeah. Dabbling so, in our theme, so to speak. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We have had a few good suggestions, even, um, oh my gosh, what was it? We had, uh, it was like a dog or werewolf movie. Suggested. Dog soldiers. We watched that one. Dog that was kind of cool. Yeah. Dog soldiers was suggested. That was pretty cool. Yeah. That I was have to watch it though, because I fell asleep. But <laughs> Typical, typical. I know. Well, there you have it, folks. (laughs) Yeah, sorry, guys. (laughs) All over the map. (laughs) All over the map. Well, thank you so much for listening. And uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, we hope you guys have watched The Bride of Frankenstein. If you haven't, maybe this will be a fun supplement to uh, to checking out that movie. And uh, we want to know what you guys think. So hit us up, leave a comment on social media, or you can send us an email into the portal mailbox at gmail.com. And if you don't already, come and follow us on Instagram. It's at Into the Portal Podcast. The links are in the the show notes below. And then also, if you don't, Definitely come follow us on our network page too, because we're posting all kinds of cool stuff on there. So that, yes. that's at Strange Pods, just P O D S uh, on Instagram, and we're yeah. on Twitter as well. So Twitter, Instagram, and we're going to be running a contest for these new sticker designs that we have. So the UFO into the portal one, we're going to include that in a network uh, giveaway, yeah, a sticker pack giveaway. Might be some other goodies thrown in there too, like a comic book or two or something like that. Oh, so hell yeah. I think it would be really fun, and we're going to launch that like this week. So uh, make sure you go follow the social so you can keep up. And as always, thank you so much to all of our Patreon supporters and our producer, Tim Godby. Until next time on Into the Portal. Your gateway to the bizarre.
This podcast is a part of Straight Up Strange Productions. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.